Welcome to this edition of the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and I am here with Dr. Don Whitney of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary out there in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Whitney, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Kevin. Good to be with you. Well, we're going to be talking about the subject of spiritual disciplines, and I know that's something that you have spent a lot of time studying, a lot of time thinking about and writing about. So we're going to jump right in with that. So, Dr. Whitney, explain to us, what do we mean by spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines are those practices we find in Scripture that are given to us to promote intimacy with Christ or closeness to Christ and growth in grace, uh, conformity to Christ, if you will, both inward conformity from the heart and outwardly from the life. So in general, that's uh, what we're talking about, but we should also, I guess, uh, break it down a little bit and say that there are personal spiritual disciplines. Those are the ones that people think about most often, but there are interpersonal spiritual disciplines, those that we practice with others. So for example, we're to pray alone. That's a biblical personal spiritual discipline. We're also to pray with the church. That's a biblical interpersonal spiritual discipline. And we're, we're to practice both, because both are taught in Scripture. We had time to point out where Jesus uh, practiced both, and he's our, our model in these things. Second, these are activities we need to emphasize. They're not attitudes. They're not the fruit of the Spirit, though that's the goal. They're not graces or character qualities. They are activities. They're things you do. Now, the goal is what we are to be. So we're back to that old distinction of, of doing and being. We're to be with Christ, we're to be like Christ, but we're not just to wait until that happens. We're to pursue these things by certain biblical activities. Those are called the spiritual disciplines. Now, we can do them rightly or wrongly, but done rightly, the right motivation. They will promote the conformity to Christ and intimacy with Christ. And says we're talking about disciplines found in Scripture, there are a lot of things that people would uh, say today or they find helpful for their spiritual life, and they, they may be, but if they're not found in Scripture, then we might term them something else. And we would say that these found in Scripture are sufficient. Spiritual disciplines in the Bible are sufficient. In other words, every practice we need to experience God to the full and to grow in grace is found in the Bible. So we don't have to go outside the Bible for some practice in order to really uh, get to know God or get to experience Him. So uh, these are, finally, I would say they are means and they are not ends. And by that, I mean, we're not godly just because we practice the spiritual disciplines. The Pharisees did that. They, were, they did so very diligently. But Jesus said they were the epitome of ungodliness. So we're not godly just because we practice these disciplines. They are a means to godliness. Right. As we learn in First Timothy 4, 7, which says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So once again, these practices are to be engaged in for a purpose, and that biblical purpose is godliness which I would say is conformity to Christ and communion with Christ. You said the spiritual disciplines are sufficient in that we do not need to go outside of what Scripture has for us. But let me ask that in a different way. Are they complete in the sense that we need all of these to get to that goal of ultimately godliness? Well, all are certainly uh, gifts to us and beneficial, or we wouldn't find them in the Bible. 
but others are certainly, there, there are priorities. There are some that are more important. For example, the intake of the Word of God in prayer would be preeminent. And all the others we can argue grow from, from those. So at the other end of the spectrum, there are disciplines like journaling that certainly there's no command in Scripture for a Christian to practice a journal. Absolutely not. But I think there is something modeled for us in Scripture that's very much like journaling. For example, when David uh, wrote the Psalms, he was pouring out his heart before God. That's very much like what you and I might do by typing into a word document. When David wrote, uh, Oh Lord, how long will I cry and you will not hear? There's not much difference between that and when you and I write in, in, a, in a journal. Lord, how long will I pray about this? You know, and you will not answer. The Lamentations of Jeremiah, where he wrote down his laments, his feelings about the fall of Jerusalem. That's very much like when we write down our feelings about things and our spiritual observations in the journal, but there's nothing that says we must do that. And the historically, some of the best Christians in history did not keep journals. Some of the best Christians in history did. So I think we can argue for a biblical basis for it, but we certainly don't, we don't put it on a level of things that we do find explicitly prescribed in Scripture, chief of which would be the intake of the Word and prayer. Let's make a list here. We're talking about We've already mentioned Bible reading, prayer. We mentioned just journaling. You also mentioned things like evangelism, worship, fasting. I think of fasting in particular, and I can hear the fears of many who are thinking, ooh, I don't know if I can do that. What advice do you have for people who are a little, maybe not familiar with that? It's, it's not really taught on or preached in many churches. No, it isn't. And for one reason, it's hard for a preacher to be an advocate in the pulpit about something he's not practicing privately. Right. So perhaps that's the initial fault. And second, you can't expect people to do what they've never been taught to do. So if they've never heard any teaching on fasting, that you can understand why they wouldn't you know, be inclined to, to practice it without some biblical instruction. But it is mentioned as more often in the Bible than something as important as baptism. For example, believe it or not, uh, by my count, there are some 70, uh, I don't know if I can put my finger on the numbers here quickly, but it's something like 77 times fasting is mentioned in the Bible as to 75 for baptisms. Hmm. But I think people have you know, heard of it. I think, you know, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and then he was tempted by the devil. So people know it's there in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. But uh, we just kind of pass over it and go on to how he quoted scripture to the devil and so forth. So I think perhaps the, the biggest surprise for people is that fasting is expected. I think we can see that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said that when you fast, then he gave us instructions. And so he assumed his followers would fast. Then, you know, in Matthew 9, he says, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast. Well, the bridegroom has been taken away, and so these are the days when his followers will fast. And we know in the early church, they fasted. So, for example, they were fasting when the Spirit called uh, the church and said to set aside Paul and Barnabas for the purpose for which I called them. So fasting is expected by believers, but the probably the most important thing about it is that it is to be done for a biblical purpose. For people, many people, it's just a, a, a selfish, and not, not so much self-centered, but a miserable self-centered experience. In other words, you're doing it wrong if every time you realize you're hungry and you think, oh, that's right, I'm fasting today, 
if your next thought is how long till this is over, you're doing it wrong. Your hunger, you want to feel hunger. Uh, your hunger serves you. And your hunger serves your biblical purpose. And in my spiritual discipline book, I mentioned 10 biblical purposes. Most importantly would be the one on prayer. In other words, a person would fast for the purpose of praying about something. Let's say praying for your wife or the salvation of your child. And so every time you get hungry throughout the day, that serves to remind you to pray for your spouse or to pray for the salvation of your child. So that's why your hunger serves you. It, it is a good thing. It's constantly reminding you toward your higher biblical purpose. It's not just something to be endured. That can be, you know, just a works righteousness. Let's remember fasting is God's idea. Uh, he's the one who put it in the Bible. John Piper calls it an intensifier for prayer. So that, that's the, probably the main takeaway I want people to get from fasting is that it, it's not an end in and of itself. It's, it's to help you in a greater biblical purpose. So is there never a time you want your child's salvation more than you want lunch? And so, you know, you, you, you fast pray for your child's salvation. And, and we should mention, though, if this is the first time people have heard about it, uh, you know, it, 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 they may have some medical issues that make fasting a problem, and we're not calling on anyone to do anything that would cause them any sort of harm. So, you know, I've got explanations about that in my book, and so we want that disclaimer there. But usually where there's a will, there's a way. And in the spiritualist book, we talk about a partial fast and what that looks like drawing from Daniel and his 10 friends when they, uh, all they had were vegetables and water for a period of time. So it's certainly worth exploring. You should not fear the blessings of fasting. Another discipline you mentioned is stewardship. And that's something that sometimes I don't think we think of in this context. You mentioned things like discipline with your time, discipline with finances. What do you say to the person who's thinking, I have my spiritual life, but how I spend my money and how I spend my time, I, I, I haven't really connected those dots yet. Well, at the heart of all discipline is the discipline of time. If you don't discipline your time, you're not going to get in the Word. You're not going to make time for prayer. You're not going to meditate on Scripture. So really managing your time according to uh, your biblical priorities is at the essence of uh, the Christian life. I mean, you'll say, well, I'm, I'm too busy to serve at the church, or I'm too busy to go to church today, or whatever. So at the heart of all discipline is a discipline of time. But uh, this is where the Bible reminds us that both our time and our money belong to the Lord. They are His, they're not ours. And so we are stewards of them. That's why we use the word stewardship, or we are managers uh, of these gifts of time and money that God has given us. And so as we submit everything to the Lordship of Christ, we should seek to manage our time and money according to biblical priorities. On our program, we like to talk about dangers to avoid whenever we talk about different topics. And one of the objections I hear a lot, whether it's about Bible reading or worship or any of these, really, coming from a background, I come from a more of a fundamentalist background, and there's always that fear of, how do we not turn this into legalism? Yeah, yeah. That's important to know because legalism is certainly one of the ditches on one side of the path of, of, uh, of faithfulness here. But I can say, you know, I've, I've been around for a while and I, I get on about 100 airplanes a year after 23 years and traveling to churches. And so I've pastored altogether about 24 years. And so I, 
I, I, you know, I've been around, and for every legalist that I found who is trying to faithfully practice the disciplines, I, I, I come across 99 who lean more toward antinomianism or, hmm. uh, you know, too lax with the spiritual discipline. So it's always brought up, but I don't tend to it as much as I run into the problem of people being too lax with the discipline. Right. But yet it is a biblical reality. So as we try to walk the path between being legalistic or being lax, the first danger is, is seeing that the disciplines are ends and not means, as I said a few moments ago. If we think that God is impressed because we we fast and you know and suffer for 24 hours in that way or whatever, or God is impressed because we read our Bible every day, or because we pray for a certain period of time that He's impressed and, and so forth. That that's that's a danger. Instead of seeing them as a means, a God-given means to godliness. Another is imbalance, and that is the person who is so committed to their personal spiritual disciplines that they think, you know. I don't need that ungodly, half-committed bunch down at the church. They only slow me down anyway. And they're the kind of person that would say, you know, I get more out of my personal devotional life than I do at the church, so I'd be happy to just take my disciplines and go off and be an evangelical monk or an evangelical nun. And that is a wrong view. But probably it's more common for people on the other end of the spectrum to say, you know, if I'm at the church pretty much every time the doors are open, as I am, and if I profit from that, as I do, I, I'm sure that in the end that will compensate for the lack of a devotional life. And no, it won't. So there's the danger of imbalance. There are these, there are dangers, but I, I, those are correctable. You can't make those corrections if people aren't engaged in the disciplines. And so, you know, if they fear legalism, then they can get counsel from their pastor or others, but uh, they shouldn't fear it so much that they fail to practice the disciplines. Well, as we wrap up, we'd like to talk about resources to go a little further. And of course, we want to recommend your book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And of course, we want to emphasize to get the 2014 version. You emphasized that to me when you signed my old copy. So, in fact, you wrote it here anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, we want to recommend, of course, that book. And another book, and this has been a great blessing to my heart, Praying the Bible. Dr. Whitney, can you tell us a little bit about Praying the Bible? Because it's, it's reshaped how I've prayed, and it's been a blessing to me. I know it'll be a blessing to our listeners. Yeah, one of the two most common problems with the spiritual disciplines, and they relate to the two most important disciplines, the intake of the Word of God and prayer. I, I find an almost universal problem with both of them. And the problem with prayer is that people tend to say the same old things about the same old things when they pray. And you don't have to do that very long before, frankly, that's boring. And when prayer is boring, well, it's hard to make yourself pray because you know you're about to do something and you know in advance that it's going to be boring. So it just kills your motivation. And when you do try, your, your mind wanders half the time, you'll suddenly come back to yourself and say, wait a minute, where was I? I've been thinking about God for the, next, for the last several minutes. And so you come back to that mental script in your head that you've repeated so many times and you pick it up where you left off. But because you've said it so many times, your mind almost immediately begins to wander again in another direction. And five to seven minutes can feel like a reality. And people tend to conclude, you know what, I guess it's just me. There's something wrong with me. I know prayer shouldn't be this way, but it always has been this way. I guess I'm just a second-rate Christian. 
Kevin, I find it to be an almost universal problem. But if a person is indeed born again, if they're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the problem is almost certainly not them. Rather, it is their method. And their method, as I've maintained, is that they say the same old things about the same old things. There's a simple, permanent, biblical solution to that. And here it is. When you pray, pray the Bible. Use the words of Scripture to stimulate the words of your prayers. And I think the best place to do this is in the book of Psalms, because they're all so directly God-focused. They're prayers to God. To take one of those, let's say the 23rd Psalm is a great example. You're going to pray that. You read the first line. You read, the Lord is my shepherd. And you say something like, like this, Lord, I thank you that you are my shepherd. You're a good shepherd. You've shepherded me all of my life. What a great shepherd. Would you shepherd my family today? Guide them into the ways of God. Guard them into the ways of the world. Lead them not from the temptation. Deliver them from evil. And, oh, Lord, would you shepherd me in this decision I have to make about my future? Guide me into your path, Lord. I want to do what you want me to do. And, Lord, would you shepherd our under-shepherds at the church? At the church? Please shepherd them as they shepherd us. And basically, whatever comes to mind, when you read, the Lord is my shepherd, that's what you pray. And then when nothing else comes to mind, you go to the next one, I shall not want. And maybe you pray for someone you know who is in that. Or you pray for God's provision for that car, for those bills, for those first school. And then when nothing else comes to mind, you go to the next line. If the next line doesn't prompt anything to pray about, fine, go on. If you don't understand the next verse, fine, go on. There's nothing that says you have to pray over every verse. There's mm. nothing that says you have to you have to finish the song. Just let the words of scripture become the wings of your prayers. And and it there's really it, it's it's hard to do it well. I mean, we're not doing Bible interpretation here, and just about every other kind is coming to the Bible I can think of. Our first priority is, what does it say? What does it mean? And you can get that wrong, for sure. You can misunderstand, misinterpret the Bible. But when it comes to prayer, whatever comes to mind is something you ought to pray about anyway, because the Bible tells us to pray about everything. So if... if something comes to mind from the text that really has nothing to do with that verse at that point, pray about it because you ought to pray about it anyway. So I hope people don't misunderstand that. I'm not saying we can make the Bible say whatever we want or we have any license to to uh, to uh, disregard the meaning of Scripture. I'm not saying that. As I said, it, it, when it comes to Bible reading, Bible study, preaching the Bible, interpreting the Bible in any way, our first priority is you know get it right. What does the Bible say? Don't read anything into it. But we're doing that here. We're praying. And to take the words of Scripture and to turn them into our prayers, I think it is a very helpful way to pray. It's a good way to learn the meaning of the text. And, you know, I, I believe that if people would pray that way, their prayers would be far more biblical than they ever would be making up their own prayers. And that's what most people do. So if someone hears this and they're afraid that, oh, well, I might misunderstand the Bible. If I tell other people to do this, they might misinterpret the Bible. Well, look, I guarantee you they're going to pray unbiblically if they just make up their own prayers, cut off from Scripture. Mm. So what better way to pray more biblically than to pray what comes to mind as you're going through a text verse by verse? The title of that book, again, is Praying the Bible by Dr. Don Whitney. Dr. Whitney, thank you so much for giving us time and, and chatting with us here this week. 
You're very welcome, Kevin. I pray the Lord will bless your podcast. I want to thank all of you for listening, and don't forget to check out our website at www.basicbiblepodcast.org, and you'll see links to the books we mentioned here today in our resource page. And until next time, have a great rest of your week. 